0: Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 19 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming the man who puts the O in P-K-O, Dara O'Kearney. Fresh off a win in an Irish Open Masters PKO event, Dara's got over $1 million in live tournament earnings and over $3 million in online tournament earnings during his career. A great ambassador for Unibet Poker and co-host of the award-winning The Chip Race and sister The Lockout podcast, Dara is a prolific and popular poker strategy author, having penned two and soon to be three books alongside his co-writer, Barry Carter. Today, we'll be discussing Dara's career in poker and life away from the game, getting to know him a little bit better beyond the felt and much more over the next hour. So, Dara, welcome to Cards Chat. Happy to see you and be speaking to you once again.
1: Thanks, Robbie. That's a, that's an amazing intro. Uh, I'm always envious of our guests in the chip race because David always does a great intro for them, but I think you might have actually outdone David there. That's that's pretty amazing. Well, he sent it to me. He's like, Robbie, read this
0: and he'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, gotta gotta mention, gotta get the David Lappin mention in there. I think the over/under is 19, and I took the over for a number of times. He'll be mentioned today.
1: It's uh your illustrious co-host. How you doing today? You doing good? I'm doing good. Yeah it's 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 um it's a nice Sunday afternoon here. I'm looking forward to a Sunday grind, but it's actually quite early for me. Um, because obviously I tend to play in, in the evenings, and if I run deep as i did last night in one event then it means a very late finish and you know you're a bit excited so you don't go straight to sleep but yeah it's good it's good um I, I i love weekends weekends are like the main time for online players so um yeah i always love sundays Absolutely. probably 12 hours from now i'm going to be very sorry very sad but uh <laughs> anyway.
0: Well hopefully we can be a, a good lead in into a good Sunday grind and I appreciate that just you know everyone sees these episodes whenever they see them but of course uh, thank you very much Dara for being available on a Sunday afternoon uh, that's uh, that's always very fun and it's a great time you know we're just a couple time zones apart uh, versus when i record with folks on the west coast or on the east coast of the United States and I'm always up really late so um this is really nice I appreciate it uh, and we'll just uh, we'll just dive right in um you know Dara this year uh, we want to talk about how the year has impacted you. Um, before you gained notoriety in the industry as an author, as a podcaster, you were, and of course, still are, a very successful online poker player. And of course, you love online poker. So, how good has this year, has twenty twenty been for you as an online poker player?
1: Yeah, it's been very good. Um, it's kind of it's it's kind of been an interesting year for me because I guess it. Caused me to challenge some assumptions I've made about myself. Ever since I started, really, online poker is the thing that I love the most. Um, I pref- I prefer that to live poker. I prefer that to all of the stuff that I do. So I've always kind of thought, well, I do the other stuff as a, for a bit of a change, but really, online poker is what I love doing. So initially, when we went into this sort of lockdown phase, I thought, okay, well, this is actually great for me because now I'll just do lots and lots of online poker, and right. and that'll be great. And, and 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 it was great at the beginning, and obviously. I mean, the online poker in general improved a lot because a lot of people came back to it. Um, so there was a lot, the, the the field sizes were a lot bigger. Um, it almost felt like going back to the boom time for a while. But I have to say, as it, as it went on, I, I quickly found out that what I used to do, say, 10 years ago, which was to play seven days a week, 10 to 12-hour sessions every day, I just can't really do that anymore. Um, mm. I, I I burn out fairly fast. So after a period of about two months where I was like a kid in a candy shop just trying to play every day, um, I did have to sort of step back and realize, you know, maybe five days a week is the the most I can play now. Mm -hmm. And I do enjoy the balance of the other stuff that that I do. And I actually do miss live poker, which I never thought I really would because I always felt that while I love meeting people at live poker, I don't actually enjoy the process of, of slow one tabling. Um, compared to what I do online, but actually I do miss live poker as well. So sure. it's been an interesting year in that sense. I've 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 enjoyed the online poker, let's say, but I it's also given me appreciation for the other stuff that I haven't been able to do this year. Right.
0: Well, just like we talk about balancing ranges, we got to balance our, our poker as well. A little bit of live is always good to spice things up uh, with the online. Um, well, of course, online and live, you are an ambassador for Unibet Poker. Uh, of course, you're you're in touch with the full landscape. Um, how do you feel? Again, you know, you've been in the thick of things. You know, whether burnt out seven days a week or five days a week, you've certainly been an online presence this year. Um, how do you feel that the online poker world has been impacted? Uh, this year, do you think the fact that we had a boom was beneficial for the long run, or did it take money out of the system? Like, was was it a good thing long term uh, for for online poker, or just you know uh, circumstances, and it'll just go back to the way it was?
1: No, I do think it was a good thing. Um, one thing I do, and one thing I really enjoy doing is, is I coach quite a few recreational players, and. A lot of those guys, when they come to me, they say, oh, I don't play online. Uh, I just play live, um, I'm right. not interested in online. But this year they were obviously forced to play online. And sure. quite a few of them have, I mean, some of them don't enjoy it, but some of them have come back and said, actually, I, I, I'm enjoying this a lot. I think essentially what happened is the sites were kind of caught uh, on the back foot initially where they didn't really know how to react. So all they did was they just sort of increased guarantees across the board on their existing offerings. and. While that was that, that 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 was obviously necessary in the short term. It didn't particularly appeal to the sort of the new players who were coming on the live mm. players. Um, online, the online ecosystem has always been based around the idea that online grinders get on and they play the same tournaments every night, um, and the sites offer the same tournaments. You know, uh, if it stars, you know, big fifty five, big one, big right. one hundred nine, etc. And but recreations. Uh, particularly the ones who are used to live, they don't really think like that. They don't want to just do the same thing over and over again. So they kind of like the big events. So once the online sites realized that and started aping the big live festivals online, I think that was a very positive development. And <clears throat> I think recreations like the idea of, you know, maybe trying to satellite into a WSOP or a Unibet Open or an Irish Open or whatever it is. And then there's an actual festival running in conjunction with that where there are events every night. Uh, For example, Party of the Irish Poker Masters uh, at the moment. And when I played that every night, I do see a lot of recreational players. Another thing some sites have done, uh, like GG and um, Party in particular, is they've gone for the real name things. So you you actually know who you're playing against, which is, again, is appealing very much to live players and live players like that. Yeah. Live players don't like the idea of just looking at a string of uh, unrelated characters and have no idea who's behind yep. the screen there. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> guilty. So, <laughs> yeah, so I think I, I, I think the online sites in general have have responded pretty well. Um, initially, they were caught on the back foot. I think once we start to return back to normal or the new normal, whatever it is, I don't think we will. See most of the new live players sticking around online in the sense that they won't be playing every night. But I do think they're, that essentially the sites have now created an appetite for sort of the big online festivals, and right. I think they'll be able to keep that going after the uh, after the return.
0: That's a great. That's a very complete answer because you answered what I was going to say as my follow up. So good stuff. Good anticipation there, uh, and I like that you. Uh, that you uh, name checked all of the sites there, not just uh, Unibet. So uh, in that regard, I'll specifically name check UnitBet and what they did. I like their marketing of uh, IRL to URL. That was a pretty cool yeah. pivot in real life to the URL to the online site. So uh, definitely a lot of pivoting has been done. And I think you know, like you said, you can't expect for uh, this type of a situation to happen. But you know, after the the initial unsteadiness, I think uh, everyone kind of. Did a pretty good uh, a pretty good job uh, as far as the operator side. Um, well, lately the topic of RTAs, the real time assistance, is something that's gotten a lot of buzz on online poker. Uh, again, everything's been online this year, so that's where the focus has been. And you know, naturally, there's been uh, this this interesting development. Um, very recently, you you penned a, a really impassioned blog, I would say. Um, can you kind of give a gist for those who don't know necessarily what this real-time assistance is um, and your feelings on, uh, on the issue?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, for the last five or six years, one of the hottest de- topics of debate among professional players is like, what will kill online poker in the end? Um, there's always been a school of thought that governments will maybe regulate it out of existence, or to the point where it almost doesn't exist anymore. But there's also the the the, the, the other side of the argument, which is sort of like bots and uh, and real time assistants will do it for it. Well, essentially, what real time assistant is, is is it's when players are using um, programs alongside uh, their play. Um, to I mean, assistance is going. It, it, it is actually fudging in sight. It's more or less telling them what to do. Obviously, there have there have always been programs around that assist in the sense that you know even stuff like Table Ninja or the the, the heads up display uh, programs will help people. But this is something different. This is where people are using solvers in real time mm-hmm. and. At, at at the extreme end of the scale, uh, the the real time assistant software is able to um, pick up what cards you've been dealt, what position you're in, what the relevant stack sizes are, etc., and then it literally goes off and looks up a database of of um, solves and tells you exactly what to do. What's the GTO thing to do in this spot? Now it's been on, it's been. It's been around for a while, but it's been be- becoming more prevalent um in the sense that the people who produce the software are getting more aggressive in their marketing of it. Uh mm. you know, there's one guy who uh, regularly um displays the software on Twitch, uh hopefully I guess he's hoping that people will go and buy it. That's <laughs> the sort of bad side of the picture. There are people out there doing this stuff. Right. The good side of the picture is that all of the um all of the major sites are doing everything they can to combat it and they do catch people all the time. And this year we had a, we, we had the very high profile case of Federal Cruz who, who who got caught. And it's a very good thing. It, one, one analogy I made in my blog, um, it kind of reminds me of, of back when I was a runner, when they would catch drug cheats and generally the way that was reported was, Oh, this person is cheating. And then there's sort of public perception could be oh well, they're all cheating, which is not, which is absolutely not the case. Course, most right. uh, most mo- most athletes are 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 completely clean. It's a good thing when they catch drug cheats, and you and you want them to catch them all. It's same thing on the RTA side. We want everybody who's using this to be caught. Um, so we should celebrate when people are caught. But but the downside is that sometimes when recreational players see this and they hear about it for the first time, they think, "Oh my god, all the professionals are doing this," uh, which is absolutely not the case. So. I would say to recreational players who are worried about it, first of all, there are areas that are more badly affected than others, let's say. Um I was talking to somebody recently who used to play exclusively Heads of Cash Online, and he said he doesn't play anymore because it's all RTA in his in, in, in his opinion. Wow. Because that's an area of the game which is so easy to solve that you can um you can go off and you can literally solve the game. Um so heads up, cash is kind has kind of withered and died. Not notwithstanding the, the high profile challenges that are going on at the moment, sure. um, cash in general, again, you know, it's it, it's definitely in use there. So what I would say is, if cash is your thing, make sure you stick to a um, a respected site because they will be the ones that will be making every effort to catch people. Um, I'm not going to name names, obviously, because that would be unfair. But I think everybody knows who the respected sites are, who the mm, half and half sites are. And then a lot of the new apps uh, really have very little um, detection in this area. So protect yourself in that area. Tournaments are better because Tournaments Element is uh, introduces ad- additional strategic um aspect of ICM, which the solvers uh, won't solve for. Every ICM situation is different. In, in, in a, in a six-max-cash game where everybody is 100 big blinds, there are the same standard situations that come up time and time again. But in tournaments, the stack sizes diverge, the stage of the tournament diverges, all, all that ICM stuff makes it different. So that makes it a little bit more immune to, um, to cheats. Uh, and then at the far end of the scale, I would say progressive knockouts are the uh, are probably the nuts in this aspect because they introduce this new aspect, the, the the bounty which has to be uh, accounted for. And again, the solvers can't do that, um, so that that sort of prevent. I mean, somebody could use RTA to try and play a PKO tournament, but they but they wouldn't play it particularly well because the the the, the software would be telling them to do stuff which was which, which was wrong in the format. So. Yeah, I would say it's it's an issue and sometimes I worry when we talk about it that we'll end up with the perception around uh, online poker that exists around running, which is that everybody's cheating. And I would say that's absolutely not the case and recreational players should should be reassured on that and they should be happy that the sites are out there trying to find people, uh, to catch people who are doing this. But the second thing is think about what, uh, what to play and I mean, certainly, if you if, if, if you notice weird stuff, like if you if you notice a guy eighty tabling and uh, always playing exactly the same way, then feel free to contact the sites. But hopefully, right. the sites themselves will, will will find those people.
0: Of course, another excellent, very complete answer. Just uh, for those consulting their acronyms. Uh, progressive knockouts, that's PKOs, RTA is real-time assistance, and ICM is the independent chip model, which is op, uh, very often consulted in terms of doing tournament chip chops, uh, specifically in tournaments. Um, you know, Excellent, complete answer, and it's important to allay the concerns of recreational players. Um, as one, uh, I want to ask you as well, uh, do the stakes matter, and does the game variant matter? Is it specifically only in higher stakes hold them or will you find it in mixed games or will you find it at the micro stakes you know one cent two cent
1: that's a very good question um uh, i would say it's 95 percent hold them um i have no doubt that there are people out there who have run solves for well i guess plo is probably the other five percent it's unlikely it's it's reached stud high low yet um but It's, yeah, yeah the like it, it it's an incentive thing as well like they follow the money um right. you know people used to say you you catch a lot of drought cheats at, at the olympics but you don't catch that many at the at the at the type of running that I used to do because there were no financial <laughs> rewards for that um so that's the first thing the the stake level i mean this is kind of problematic because uh like it'll work at any level so and i mean the guy who was caught Fedor Cruz, one of the red flags which was raised was that he he rose through the ranks so quickly, through the mm-hmm. stake levels. Right. So he went from playing relatively low stakes to playing the highest stakes possible in a very short time. And that immediately raised suspicions of like, how can somebody do that? Right. Uh, it, 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 the problem with cheats is it's always the dumb cheats that are caught. Like the, the you you wonder about how many smart cheats there are out there. You know, maybe the smarter <laughs> thing for a cheat to do is to stay at the lower level and never move up and just leave his computer running uh not kill with, the golden goose. Yeah, exactly. Um so I mean, maybe stake level, I, I, I presume with the micro stakes, it's not much of a problem. But uh, I mean, anything where somebody can make a decent living playing a lot of tables, um, I suspect you're always going to find it to some degree. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better as a one cent, two cent
0: uh, deuced seven triple draw specialists, so that's yeah, you're we're... probably safe there, Robbie. <laughs> okay, thank you. Oh, well, uh, Dara, at the top of the show, I mentioned uh, your career tournament earnings. Uh, on the live side, you're currently 16th all time on the Irish all time money list, alongside some legends of the game, like Noel Furlong, for example. Uh, number one on the list currently is Andy Black, he's got just short of five million dollars. Is getting to the top of that list any sort of goal of yours?
1: Um, I don't think I'm ever going to catch Andy. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm not even sure. Uh, I mean, I, I've been Andy's been playing for a lot longer than I have, but I'm not even sure if you look at the period of my career, I'm even closing the gap. Uh, Andy's just phenomenal on that front. He has some major, massive scores on his records, mm-hmm. um, which you know my record has been built more on sort of consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually have more caches than any other Irish player ever, but it's obviously a much smaller average than uh, than Andy's average cash. So, I mean, Andy is primarily, almost exclusively, in fact, a live player, and I've mm-hmm. always seen live as sort of a sideline, um, something that I like doing uh, to, to to break up the routine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, who knows? I mean, I, I guess the best way to get to the top of that list would be to win the World Series main events. So sure. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't rule it out completely, but it's, uh, of yeah, it's, it, it's not a pressing ambition.
0: Is that a point of pride for you, to be uh, the one with the most caches uh, on the Emerald Island?
1: Um, yeah, I guess it is because, uh, like, I do... F- as an online player, I always think about sample size and I do think that consistency is probably a better judge uh of uh, somebody's career rather than even you know something like overall cashes which is very heavily influenced by um by what your biggest results are right uh i remember when i met david and okay we're up to two david Lappin mentions now uh first he He made the point that he, 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 when he looked at people's careers, he 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 always wanted to see what it looked like without the three biggest scores, Uh uh, because because they're essentially outliers. And uh, if you take my three biggest scores out, okay, it's 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 not a million, but it's still well over half a million. So um, my career still looks reasonably similar to what it is. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, I do feel that at least it shows consistency, and you know. There are certain times where I've had the chance to sort of kick on and um, and get a really really big result, but I've lost I've lost a crucial flip or whatever. Um, I'm not here to moan about that. Uh, I'm very happy with my career, but I think that does make a big difference in that at the end of the day.
0: Sure, well, oh, of course, amount of money won. That's typically the barometer of success that we use uh, in poker, except for that you know what? But how much did you lose? Metric. Um, <laughs> But uh, of course, you know, Ireland is a country with a great history in poker. I don't know if you have a a Mount Rushmore, but I'm sure, you know, if there were four personalities carved into the Blarney Stone, uh, would you say that, uh, you know... Perhaps
1: uh, you can you can squeeze in there or you're not there just yet. Yeah, there's still uh, some of the old time. Um, I'd be surprised there. if I was there yet. I mean, we have produced a lot of great poker players down the years, um, right back from the start of European poker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people like, I mean, Noel Furlong has actually won the main event. Porrick yep. uh, Parkinson was on the final table that year. And Park, he's still very much a force, um, yes. a real a, a real legend of the game. Liam Flood, who I was lucky enough to be friends with at the start of my career, uh, the man who started, uh, who, t- who took over the Irish Open and took it onto the heights that it was. We, we, we were pretty well uh, looked after in that area. So yeah, I don't think my. Uh, my my face belongs up there yeah
0: perhaps perhaps someday though uh but i do think it's important you know i do love you know name checking the greats uh, especially of non-american nations you know poker of course started out as very widely an american game but it very quickly became a world game and it's important for those of us uh from the united states to know that you know there's a lot of fantastic players out there uh you know each country kind of has its own little you know uh, mini mount rushmore or, or hall of fame whatever you want to call it so it's important to to know the greats of all the you know the different countries out there and thank you for uh for saying those great names uh Don. maybe someday we'll have a, a couple of them on the podcast here at cards jet um, well, that's uh, Dara, the, the poker player. Let's switch gears. You got to do that in poker always to Dara, the media man. Uh, of course, you co-host the GPI award winning as uh, David Lappin so often reminds us. Uh, Ch- uh, Chip Race podcast. Um, you invite a number of guests uh, to join you on the show from a variety of different sort of corners and niches of the poker industry. Um, what do you and David look for in your guests perhaps you know is it lesser known people with good stories or well what is, you know what sort of variety are you guys looking like an eclectic mix to say no this is this is going to work for a great show
1: yeah we, we basically or at least david particularly thinks in, in 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 seasons which is our batches of seven and within an, a, a, within any season we try to get a balance so we think a lot we think in terms of getting different guests now we have two mu- two major two main guests on every show. The idea with the f- with the top guest is it's the name on the tin, so it should it should be somebody who is instantly recognisable, is very famous, um, and is of interest to our audience. Uh, the, the the secondary name is more in this in the in the category of lesser known person with an interesting story, mm. um, and and then we also use strategy guests who are obviously. We try to get players who are as high as possible and then topical guests who are often industry people who have an interesting um, mm. angle on some on, on, on some recent development. Within each each series of shows, then we try to have a certain number of players who are known primarily as live players, uh, a certain number of online beasts. Um, we try to have a tw- roughly 25% of our guests being female. Um, hmm. Which is uh, overrepresenting females in terms of how big they are in the industry, but you know we're we're going for the industry that we would like to see rather than the industry that we actually have. Uh, hmm. I believe the, the normal. I love that is,
0: quote. That's be- that's beautiful and <laughs> very genuine as well. I know it's to be very true.
1: Yeah, uh, I believe from talking to people in the industry that three percent is is usually the estimate of the female player base so i mean that's obviously way well less than it should be we, we, i mean well, ultimately we'd love to have a situation where 50 it's 50-50 between male and female there's no reason why uh, female more female players don't play so so, so we do uh, try to over-represent female guests. Then we think in terms of nationality as well. We have a we have a truly global audience. So yes. we think in different areas. Uh, you know, US, UK, Europe. Uh, we've had a few Australian guests. We had our first Brazilian guest um, not too not, not not so long ago, Alexander Mantovani, who gave us a good, great interview. Um, and then we also sort of pri- we we primarily slanted towards players because we most of our audience are. Um, online players and they're more interested in hearing from players than industry people but we do pepper in industry people who have interesting perspectives uh for for our players um we um yeah we 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 we've kind of realized over time what our audience is is drawn to our audience is are primarily online players um, mm-hmm. and they they they, they they particularly like hearing from, you know, high rollers guys who base the really high, like Jason Kuhn, Daniel Devoris, those guys. Um, and we've been lucky enough to have a lot of them. But they also like to hear from uh, the online beasts. I mean, our most popular episode ever, uh, uh, Ape Styles was the main guest. Uh, and th- that's that's more or less the perfect type of guest for us. Somebody, John, who,
0: John Van Fleet, right? That's the
1: name? John Van Fleet, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've had Garaf Ganger on as well. We've mm-hmm. had all the guys who are... Uh, primarily are almost exclusively online players and they go over very well with our audience as well. So we always try and get that balance right. Also different age demographics. Uh, uh, You uh, you very kindly set us up with Ellie Lesra and we do try and get people like Ellie. We were lucky enough to have Mike Sexton uh, before he unfortunately passed away. We had Parky on in season one. So we try and go back to the old school as well as much uh, as we can. So we try and give a very broad view of of poker, all the aspects we don't want to ignore any demographic, um, uh, and we try and get them in rough proportion, um, to, to what we've done. But I, uh, I, I was at the um Aussie Millions a couple of years ago, and um, Ari Engel, Bodog Ari, was at the table, uh, and he was actually listening to the chip race, uh, while he was at the table, what? and he told me the thing he said. As much as I like the big name guests that you have on, I know all those guys and I know their stories. It's, it's, it's the secondary guests that really appeal to me because they're always people that I've never heard of but have very interesting stories. Um, um, the, the, that's basically what we're what we're going for. We're trying to sort of appeal to as wide an audience as possible and give something for everybody.
0: Well, I think you certainly do. And like that's what having you know multiple guests on during the course of an episode uh, kind of does. Like you said, you put a lot of thought into it. It's uh, no surprise that something that with so much effort put into it uh, is a GPI award winning podcast. It's good stuff. Uh, you did mention, you know, and this is like one of those things you had seasons in batches of seven episodes. And I know you think you just finished, just wrapped your 14th season or something like that. Um, that, sounds, that sounds right. David yeah, pays like, far more
1: attention to this than I do.
0: Well, I mean, well, you, when you do 14 seasons, you think, okay, well, then going back to you know what, 2006? No, it's uh, how did you come up with that seven se- seven episode batch makes a season?
1: Yeah, you'd have to ask David that. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I, think, I, I think in radio and TV, seven is often a season, and okay. David. David came out of TV, uh, he he wrote a TV series back in the day, so he that's kind of the way he thinks. Um, to be honest, I've never really understood it, because the season thing just doesn't seem to have any relevance other than the first seven is season one, the next seven. It's not even as if we, we take a break at the end of every season and come back. Sometimes we take a break mid-season after five episodes, then we come back and record another four episodes, so right. two go into the... Four season and two go into the next season. I honestly don't know what the season thing is about, but uh, David insists it's very important. So. Well, it
0: it reminds me of whose line is it anyway? Where everything's made up and the points don't matter. But I like it. It's good stuff. Um, well, you know, it's enough of that. Podcast star due to the pandemic. There's a, a lot of pivoting, a lot of innovation this year in the poker world, and uh, you've been no exception uh, with what you've done with David. Uh, you've expanded the chip race into a sister podcast called The Lock It. Um, so first of all, for those who are just hearing about it now for the first time, how is that different? How is that uh, a separate entity? And how did it come about? You know, Why did you guys think it's time to expand?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, there's a couple of points of difference the first point is that it's primarily designed as a youtube show so unfortunately you can see our ugly faces rather than just hearing our impenetrable irish accents uh like on the the show the the main show the chip race um initially myself and david just kind of it was like start to lock in start to lockdown rather and uh we were like we have spare time, what do we do? Um, <laughs> so we thought, okay, well, why don't we try this? We'll do, we'll do a YouTube show. And I think the initial concept was, it was just kind of like a very loose, expanded chat, similar to the topical that we have at the start of every chip press, where you know, at the start of every chip press, we usually chat for eight to 12 minutes, um, these days, usually we would have guessed about some topic that's in the news at the moment. Right. So it was kind of like, let's expand that out and, and do it on YouTube. Um, Initially, we thought, okay, we'll just do it among ourselves because we don't want the hassle of uh, booking guests for this as well as the chip race. Sure. Uh, one of the major hassles, as I'm sure you know well, Robbie, from doing the Orbit is, is just chasing guests all the time. Um, but after two shows, <laughs> the numbers were not good. So we thought, okay, people are not going to watch us uh, every week just t- talking whatever's in our head. So so we started having on guests, and then it did it did genuinely take off. And now we're at a stage where um, I mean, it's still it's still below the numbers of the chip race, but it's but they're it's, it's it's getting up there to being roughly comparable. Um, the other big difference is it's not it's not essentially not an edited show. We just start right. recording. We talk whatever's in our heads, and uh, we stop recording, and then we put the show out. Now that makes it very easy for us to do. Um, so that that kind of encourages us to keep going. But it, do, it it does make it a less polished show than the Chip Race. David puts a huge amount of effort into editing the Chip Race. Um, right. He probably that's probably uh, most of the time that goes into an episode isn't us interviewing the guests or any of the other stuff. It's David doing the edit afterwards, mm-hmm. and you can see that on the chip race it is very polished there are a lot of times we've had guests who um you know they ramble a bit let's say uh and we ramble a bit ourselves as well we both benefit very strongly from editing but uh when once David gets in there and cuts out of the the, the, the flab you always get a very crisp clear interview and um, lock in a little bit looser <laughs>
0: Right. Well, for those who are keeping track, I think it's seven, possibly eight mentions at this point of David. I have a little tracker, like ding, every time we we mention his name. Love you, Mr. Lappin. Um, I did want to ask though uh, about uh, Lockin. So, is this meant to sort of be a a temporary thing while you have more time, while you know this, this pandemic keeps raging, and you know it's it's good for its time and. You know it will be a memory once we get back to normal or is this like hey we got something here and we're going to continue on doing it
1: it's a very good question and i and i and i guess we'll 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 um we'll, we'll decide when the time comes it, it it'll probably come down to time i mean every year uh, we at this time of year i start thinking about uh, how incredibly busy the last year has been and what mm-hmm. i what i should maybe cut back on um it's it, it's obviously been fine in this year for us because we're at home anyway and sure. um, we don't have the live commitments. So essentially the time that we would have put into the live poker has gone into that. Um, I personally would like to see it continue, um, but then, you know, maybe may, maybe it's it's also driven by audience. I think part of the reason why it's got a good audience is people are, are at home more and sure. they're consuming more content. Um, we were keen to put it on youtube because we've always had a youtube channel but apart from the the strategy clips that we put up it um it didn't get a massive amount of traffic so we thought okay well if we start putting up this regular show maybe that would boost the channel mm-hmm. and, and it very much has the channel has sort of been generally improved since we uh improved its appeal since since we started doing the show so yeah it it, it it will be wait and see i think um I'd be reasonably optimistic we'll continue. At the moment, we're, we're doing roughly a show every two weeks. Uh-huh. Um, maybe it might go to once a month when we go back to there being live poker. But I do think we will continue because uh, we've been very lucky. The, the, the reaction to it has been very good. We've been lucky that the audience have been, has been building up. Uh, one of our episodes even made the um, national TV here when we Look were talking about the American election. Yeah, so ah. it, it it has sort of caught the... Caught, uh, caught a certain amount of fire, and it's also got us to a new audience, uh, which you know, the, the Chypriots. We, we're we're kind of aware that podcasts and YouTube are two are two very different worlds, yeah. and um, it's it, it, it's good to see that the lock-in has sort of got some uh, sort of a foothold on, on YouTube now. Yeah,
0: well, right, good stuff. Well, congratulations. I I see the the subliminal marketing is working quite well. Uh, Over There it is. (laughs) Hey, there's the the PKO Poker Strategy. It's time to talk books, Dara. Of course, uh, online poker podcasting has not kept you busy enough in 2020. Uh, You also released that beautiful second book, PKO Poker Strategy. Uh, Again, PKO stands for Progressive Knockout. That's the bounties um, again together with uh, the the fantastic writer Barry Carter the editor of pokerstrategy.com um, how did you or was it a mutual the two of you you know who decided and how did you decide that the time was right to write your second book um, in in the first place
1: yeah well i I think we both enjoyed the process so much in, uh, of writing the first book and when and when we when we started the first book we didn't really know each other that well so like you never really know how you're going to work with some people um, and uh, uh, I don't think I'm particularly easy to work with. <laughs> I think if, in general, if I work with ten people, I might click with one of them, and the other nine, I'll be like, "Well, oh, I don't really want to work with that person again." Um, That's why you win all I, your satellites. Okay. I, <laughs> I have really high demands. Uh, I'm like I'm. I'm incredibly demanding. I you know, I, I'm basically a workaholic myself and Ooh. I do kind of expect other people when I'm working on a project to put the same sort of commitment levels in. And uh, if, they, if they fall a bit short of that, I get very frustrated. So um, Barry was very passionate about the book from the start. It was a real uh, labor of love for him. And I enjoyed that. I And it felt more like I was kind of coaching him uh, mm-hmm. to play satellites. And then he he was writing it up. So I also enjoy that too. i I, I much prefer working with recreational players uh, as a coach because they're more excited and passionate and eager to learn. Um, so so I think we enjoyed the process so much, we said, okay, well, we write another book, what we uh-huh. write it about. Um, the only reason we chose PKOs, I think, is, well, a couple of reasons. First, firstly, is there was no... Other book out there on PKOs, right. um, right. so we wanted to be first in market. Secondly, PKOs were becoming so important online; it seemed like a, like a real glaring gap in the market. That um, you know, the, the, if you go onto any of the major sites now, almost half of the tournaments will be PKOs or bounty builders, as as, as some of the other sites call them, and. Um, it seemed weird that there was no content out there for recreational players to dip their toes into. It was an, also an area that I was starting to put extensive study into. Mm-hmm. When PKO started, I absolutely hated the format. I thought mm-hmm. this is this is terrible. This is just pure gambling, uh, and I resisted kind of moving into them for a while. But the way online moved so much towards PKOs, I decided, okay, well, I have to bite the bullet and uh, and. Uh, put some time into this format now. And I did what I always do, which is to sort of work out the maths from the fundamentals and go from there uh, rather than learn by trial and error. Um, so given that I was doing all that work with solvers on PQs and uh, learning myself um, the, the, the basic fundamentals, it seemed like something that I could you know, impart to Barry while I was doing it. And also we thought that there would be a market for the book at the end because obviously being first to market is very important. Of
0: course. Well, and of course, uh, you know, those who paid attention to, to him on Twitter as well, he's done pretty well. You know, the, the teacher has done a, quite a good job. I'm sure you, you take a lot of pride in seeing, uh, you know, his results, he's he's done pretty well. So that that's
1: probably a, a good feeling for you. It's a brilliant feeling for me, yeah, because because <laughs> Barry was so terrible at poker when I met him first. <laughs> he, had, he had all of the bad life habits and uh, he didn't really play online very much. Uh, uh, i'm sure I, I i'm sure he won't mind me saying this yeah he was he was he was absolutely terrible at poker um I, it's been great to see him develop and actually he's developed so much now that uh in our most recent session he he came to me and said uh i've designed this toy game to uh test some of our um, concepts and uh, I've run all these sims. So the idea of Barry, who had barely knew how to turn on a computer when it came <laughs> to playing poker, is now running <laughs> his own sims and designing his own toy games uh, was both frightening and heartening at the same time.
0: <laughs> well, you, your attitude, obviously, towards PKOs has, has changed since, uh, you know being unwilling to dip your toe in the water for the first time. Um, there are plenty of folks out there who, yeah, they're just going to go ahead and stick to what they know and not necessarily try the PKO. Uh, what's your elevator pitch? Why would someone? Why should someone go ahead and, and give them a try? And what's perhaps appealing about them that you don't get in your standard run-of-the-mill uh, uh, hold'em tournaments?
1: First of all, I think they're tremendously fun. Um, I, I think the problem with the standard hold'em tournaments is that they they, they they just incentivize a very tight style of play, um, mm-hmm. and and particularly satellites, which was my my, my specialty before. Uh, the, there are periods where you just kind of have to keep folding, 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 and that's not very interesting. The correct strategy in PKOs is sort of wild and loose, and that's much more fun. Um, there's also the sort of instant endorphin hit when you knock somebody out and win a bounty, uh, which is uh, w- 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 which is very appealing, sure. and. I actually think the fact that people like me initially and and in some cases uh, still resisted them is also a good thing too for the ecosystem in general and for the for the pool. Um, a lot of the top tournament players I know still don't play PKOs because they just don't like the format. You know they put a lot of time and effort into uh, mastering vanilla tournaments and right. they don't see why they should have to change. Um, so they stay out of the PKO pool, or if they do go into the PKO pool, they're not playing very well. Um, I think the, the natural strategy for it is something which very much appeals to sort of recreational players. You can splash around, play a lot of hands, uh, play very wide, loose ranges. Um, it's just, just, just a far more fun format, I think, than the other online offerings that are there at the moment.
0: So, yeah, good. Fair play. I like it. It's a good, good answer to that to that question. Um, you know, we said we mentioned at the beginning uh, of the show that uh, two soon to be three. I don't remember if it was you or Barry who teased it. Is is there a third book in the works? Is it finished? What can you tell us about uh, you know your next area of specialty after satellites and PKOs?
1: Yeah, I, I, I told Barry at the start that we'd keep this one a secret because it might take a while uh, to get out and we didn't want somebody to beat us to the punch. And then Barry immediately went on some podcast and, and leaked it. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, it is going to be specifically on ICM. And, Aha, okay. Uh Again, the reason why we've chosen this is that when I started my career 10 years ago playing tournaments, um, I played uh, sit and goes essentially. And the biggest skill there is ICM. And most of the people who started around my time cut their teeth similarly. And then we all moved into MTTs as sit and goes kind of dried up online. Um, And our ICM skills kind of stood to us. Now, over the past 10 years, there are a lot more players who just started straight in MTTs and never had sit-and-goes. And as a result, when it comes to the final stages, last two tables of a tournament, let's say, where I see them is really important. They're kind of at sea, and they and and they make fairly significant errors. And I think the same is true for recreational players. Recreational players make their biggest mistakes at the end when uh, when when the most money is on the line. And there are a lot of sort of um, misconceptions out there about how you should play. You know, people talk about playing for the win, for example. Right. That's a, that's a- that's a fairly common phrase you hear. And um, Barry's original idea when we talked about this was like, let's let's list all the misconceptions that are out there and show how they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, I think when we finish the book, it'll be slightly different. It will be sort of, we'll go through in detail what the correct strategy is in different situations and why, um, which is essentially what we've done in the other two books as well. Like in the existing, in the two books we've already done, the, the idea wasn't that we're going to teach you how to play poker. We assume you know how to play poker already. Right. We're just going to teach you what adjustments you have to make for either satellites on the one hand or PKO as a bounty builders on the other hand. It's the same here. We're assuming you know how to play poker, but we're saying, okay, well, now it's the second last table. How differently should you play ace queen on the button to if it's the first hand of the tournament? Um, and what are all the factors you have to think about? Uh, how important are those fact- Are each of those factors? And um, what, what what ultimately uh, does that mean for the strategy? Um, so, again, one of our sort of unwritten um, or uh, yeah, one of our un- 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 unwritten hopes for the books is that if um, th- that they provide something that recreational players can read uh, relatively quickly and get a lot of value out of, and and become much more competitive as as a result. One of the big problems with the way online poker has moved in recent years. Is the skill gap between recreational players and uh, people who play every day, uh, the the regs, has grown too much, and yeah. that's actually bad for everybody because if one side is getting beaten up too badly, uh, they, they they basically stop playing. Um, so the idea is to try and. Bring them up to the next level, um, make them competitive. Uh one of the most heartening things for, for me about the first book was just the number of messages that we, we got from recreational players saying I was completely crushing them um, and I'm loving them. I'm getting I'm getting into big tournaments uh cheaply um and it's completely reignited my passion for the game. That's that's I think that's ultimately more important yeah. for us than you know selling whatever number of copies we end up selling.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they, they're certainly both uh, excellent sellers. Uh, I think both of them at some point had hit number one on the poker books bestsellers of Amazon. So uh, more power to you, and thank you very much. As again a recreational player, I'm sure a lot of folks in the cards chat community feel the same way uh, who've picked up your books. Uh, you know, and you got you definitely bringing up the level. Anyone who realizes you know poker isn't just okay. Let's learn what beats what. You do have to study a little bit, and that's uh, certainly a great tool. Uh, to do so. Well, Dara, before we get into the uh, community questions portions of the show, uh, just uh, a couple last questions I have for you. i uh, tried to save the best for last. Let's, uh, let's see how you handle these. Uh, it's been, there's been a lot of discussion in the poker industry this year about the word ambassador. As someone who represents an online poker brand, does the title of brand ambassador to you just mean that and that alone, or does it go beyond stumping for the site that you represent?
1: I think it definitely goes beyond. Um, uh, one thing I think, which is sometimes not uh, realized enough in the industry, is that it is an overall industry, and um, it's not, it's not, it's not finite. Um, If one site draws more players into the game, that's good for everybody. It doesn't hurt the other sites in any way. Mm. Um, They shouldn't be competing uh, dog eats dog for the existing customers. They should all be thinking about how to to try and grow the market generally. And Mm. that's something I've always been very interested in. One thing I've I've felt quite passionate about in the past is that the, the industry markets too exclusively to certain demographics. There are not enough uh, females in the game, they're not marketed to very well. There are not enough older people in online poker. A lot of older people won't play online poker. And I've 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 always felt that older people, um, I mean, it's it's kind of a no-brainer. When you look at other industries like the music industry, um, a lot of effort goes into appealing to an older demographic, yep. um, in terms of nostalgia, etc. Um and you know, some of the biggest touring acts are essentially nostalgia acts that appeal to older people because these are the people who have time, who have lots, lots of leisure time, and have money. It's mm-hmm. true. Your typical eighteen or nineteen-year-old male doesn't have too much money. He's at the start of his career and um, doesn't have much, too much time because he's trying to build that career. And yet, these seem to be the people that uh, sites have exclusively marketed at. Mostly, there's a huge market out there uh which 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 is untapped um one of the things i love about Cards chat is i do get the sense that they they have a truly global reach and that they reach lots of different demographics so lots of lots of the Cards chat people that i deal with are older recreational players and and it's great to see sites like Char- cars chat rec poker are similar they have a they're very good at tapping into an older demographic as well, um, and so I, I do think we have to try and appeal as much as possible. And just shilling for one site—that's not something I would ever be interested in doing. Mm. Um, the reason why I'm on board with Unibat at the moment is they were the site which came to came, came to my to myself and David initially and said we very much like what you guys were doing in terms of trying to appeal to recreational players, thinking about recreational players, and uh, campaigning for the interests of. Uh, recreational players, that's very much in line with our ethos. Um mm. and and therefore we'd like you to be brand ambassadors. I mean, neither neither David or myself are uh, you know, global names. We're not uh, Dan Delsarian or we do, you know we don't have 30 million followers or whatever it is on Instagram. Uh so we're not obvious choices to be ambassadors. But I think some sites put a lot of thought into 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 who they want representing them and um and what kind of message they give. Uh, and you, know, you mentioned earlier that I mentioned all the sites. I do give credit to the other sites when, when I see them do something good, and Unibet don't mind that. Uh, they're uh, I don't have to go walk around just wearing a billboard, uh, wearing a sandwich board uh, with Unibet written on it, I'm not allowed to talk about anybody else. I also think it's important for your credibility. If you're just seen as somebody who just promotes their own site, then you 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 lose a lot of credibility but if you're willing to talk fairly about other sites and you know i'm critical of other sites too when they do sure. things uh, that i don't think that that i don't agree with but i will give credit to them when when they when they do things which are which i think are good and i try to be balanced on all that stuff i don't try to i i, I try not to allow the fact that i'm um an ambassador for you in a um cloud my judgment on that stuff.
0: Well, you and I have known each other for a good few years now, and uh, that's not news to me, but every time I hear you say it, all these things, you know, it's exceptionally refreshing because not enough people are saying that uh, in the industry, power to you, power to Unibet for allowing that type of uh, representative to go ahead and represent the brand so well, as well as just be a a greater ambassador for the game. Something that certainly a message that certainly resonates with me. Uh, And you know, as for older players, I specifically dyed my hair gray for the podcast, just to, you know, again, appeal to those, to the older recreational players. Um, Finally, Dar, the last time that uh, I interviewed you uh, was in person at the Unibet Open in Bucharest in the summer of 2018. At the time, I asked you, what is your goal for the future? And your answer was to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, you've done that and a lot more in the two years since. And it's been a really interesting couple of years since then. Uh, a lot of interesting time has passed, a lot of interesting development. So let me ask you again for my final
1: question before we get to the community questions. What are your goals for the future? Yeah. I mean, very much the same. This is, this has always been sort of thing. I, I, I just enjoy playing poker so much. I want to go on doing that for as long as I can. Mm. Um, I also enjoy all the other stuff that I do. Um, the, the, the content creation, etc. Um, I believe when I spoke to you, that was before the first book. Um, so the books have yes. kind of happened since, um, that's something I do enjoy, uh, a lot and I give a lot of credit to Barry for making it so enjoyable. Um, so yeah, Keep working on the third strategy book. I also have in mind that I'll do some sort of um, non-strategy book. Uh, oh. um uh, I, I hesitate to say the word autobiography because autobiography sounds like it's for important people. But I think there are interesting stories, let's say, from my life which um, might make for an interesting book. Uh, not just not, not not just from poker. So that's kind of on the to-do to-do list as well. Um, and yeah, just just continue to hopefully represent myself as well as I can do what I can for the industry as a whole. Um, um, because I do think poker is a wonderful social game. It's completely unique. Uh, and it brings together people of all nationalities, races, genders, uh, ages, etc. Um, and uh, I want to do everything I can to sort of promote the game and, um, and, and keep it healthy. And, it, whether that's accentuating the positive stuff and saying, you know, this stuff are great, this is why you should all be playing poker or warning against some of the possible dangers like RTA. I think you, I think you have, I, personally, I feel like you, you, I have a responsibility to sort of uh, um, analyze both sides of it, let's say, mm-hmm. and uh, because we don't want to get into a situation where we see something coming and we do not, nothing about it and that mm. ends up uh, derailing the, the poker industry as a whole.
0: Oh, good stuff. Great stuff. I love that. It's great. And, uh, you know, again, yeah, just speaks to, to who you are. Same same guy you know, a couple of years ago. And now I love the goals. Um, and I, I'm sure everyone has enjoyed uh, hearing from you up until this point. And now they get to take part uh, in the podcast. This is the part of the show where we take questions from the Cards Chat community and see what questions you guys wanted to ask our guests uh, I mentioned it before, we have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums uh, for you to submit your questions. Plus, Dara actually has his own dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forum. So we've culled questions from both uh, threads for this specific uh, segment of the show. I wanna thank the handful of folks who sent questions in. We've got a lot of them today. We'll try to get through as many as we can. Dara, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, he's ready. So first off is from Shells, who's been a frequent uh, question asker, a frequent uh, contributor to this part of our show. Um, Dara, a bunch of years ago, you decided to take up poker. What was it about poker that you were drawn to? and, And thereafter, what exactly switched on the proverbial light bulb to satellite tournaments?
1: Yeah, um, the, the initial appeal for poker was um, I was coming towards the end of my running career and I realized my running career wasn't going to last too much longer because of my age. Um, so I had it in my mind, I need to find something else that I can do uh, where my age won't be as at least as big a factor. And I saw the Irish poker open on TV one night and I saw people of, you know, all ages playing um, and on the final table, there were quite a few players who were older than me. Mm. So I thought, OK, well, this is something where age doesn't seem to be a major impediment. Um, my brother was already playing uh, sort of semi-professionally and I was aware of that. So I had easy access to somebody who could teach me very quickly. So he basically taught me the basics. Um, I had played five card draw poker as a kid. But then, in the in the, in the intervening twenty five years, I hadn't played poker at all. Um, so he told you know he said, that, "Well, there's this new type of poker called Hold'em," and uh, mm. taught me the basics. Um, the thing which really sort of drew me in was just the combination of maths and psychology. That it's a game where you know you can't. Go against the laws of maths if you do you will lose in the long term Mm -hmm. but there's all but you're playing against people as well and you have to understand their psychology and where they're coming from and if you can get inside their head and understand uh, how they're playing based on based on their why um, then you can you can make better decisions the the satellite thing was interesting because um, i had i started as an online player and i had a brief period in playing uh, limit cash which was the predominant form at the time uh Mm -hmm. there wasn't actually too much no limit cash back around 2007 2008 Mm -hmm. and um i was playing and and then i sort of moved into sit and goes um and then as sit and go started to dry up i uh i was kind of looking around for something else to do and i was talking to a guy that i played with live sometimes and um you know, expressing these concerns to him saying, I think sit-and-goes are not as profitable as they were anymore. I need to find something new. And he said, well, you know, the main skill in sit-and-goes is ICM. Um, mm-hmm. The main skill in satellite tournaments is ICM. And also from my experience, in his experience, in other words, uh, <laughs> they're the most, they're the softest form of poker. And that ah, was
0: that's the key I, word.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I went into them and that was completely true. Uh, there was a kind of a snobbishness at the time, actually, weirdly, that like a lot of regs, or pros wouldn't play satellites. It was almost seen as you're demeaning yourself in a way that these are not real. This isn't real poker. You get in there and you play the real tournament. You don't play satellites. So there was a couple of years where satellites were just insanely profitable, um, um, literally printing money um, because there were so few regs in them, and also the um, the skill set, uh, the specific skill set, wasn't understood. So I had a couple of years where um, you know I was doing very well in them, and I sort of working out from myself the the mathematical the concepts and principles and even when the regs sort of came in and started playing them uh they did they hadn't done that work so I was well ahead of the curve for a long time um and actually a few uh a few MTT beasts told me that they 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 used to literally uh just just rail me playing satellites and then wow. every time there was a showdown they would try and reverse engineer what I did. That wow. was what they that that was their approach to learning satellites because you know they understood from my records that i was obviously doing something which other people weren't doing Mm -hmm. um uh yeah and yeah that was it that was the attraction for satellites i think i managed to stay ahead of the curve all, all the way even through the poker boom when all the regs started playing satellites um because of that early work that i'd done right well, I
0: guess it's good to to be printing money, but I guess as the curve flattened, it's good to be printing books about it. So, power to you. Uh, you did mention your running days uh, and shells did have a follow up question on that. Do you continue to compete in marathons?
1: No, I don't. I don't compete anymore. I have talked at different times about going back to it because it's. I, I increased my training. Um, Basically, at the start of my running, uh, sorry, at the start of my poker career, I was still trying to balance the two. Um, I was still representing Ireland uh, at the uh, at the top level, not in marathons, but in ultra marathons. Hmm. And there That's was about 50, a year or two. Fifty hora- miles. What is ultra marathon? Anything longer than a marathon is basically okay. ultra marathon. Okay. So my 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 specialisation was twenty four hour races, um, where you just try and run as far as you can in twenty four hours. Um, but uh, 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 yeah, You must really want to get away <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah. or not have a car. <laughs> it's, it's even worse than that because it's usually just around a very short circuit. You oh, do well, then you're not getting anywhere. <laughs> you, you do 200 laps of this one kilometer thing. Good it's really, God. Really, wow. It's really boring. But yeah, um, I had a period where I was trying to balance the two um, because actually my initial thought, again, going back to how I started in poker was, well, I'm 42 now. Mm.
0: I'll,
1: I'll be done with running by the age of 50. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I like study poker hard for eight years, maybe at the end of the eight years, I'll be, I'll I'll be reasonably competitive in in poker. Now, two things happened. First of all, poker took off much faster than I expected. Um, I got, I got to the stage where I was full-time professional within a year and, um, and was doing very well online, making most of my money from that. So poker took up more of my time. I, I continued trying to juggle the competitive running. Um, I was still doing the same training, but I didn't have the, the recovery. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that I was spending long hours playing poker, um, that that sort of derailed my running. So my running career sort of came to a premature end, mm-hmm. or at least an earlier end than I thought it would. And 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 the, the the poker took over. So then I had a few years where I was just sort of like keeping my keeping my eye in as it were running. You know, going out and running for half an hour or an hour every day just to stay fit. Mm-hmm. And I felt in the early stages of my poker career, my stamina um, and endurance were huge assets. Um, when it came to both playing long online sessions and uh, long live sessions in at, at, at tournaments. I mean, the thing about a live tournament is the the multi-day ones, all of the important um, decisions come at the end of three or four days when everybody's very tired. Right. Um, and if you can have extra endurance at that point, that's a huge edge to have. So that was something I was interested in keeping. Then a few years ago, I did actually... F- feel that my my sort of natural stamina was slipping mm. and I was feeling more tired at the end of tournaments at the end of long sessions so I thought okay well maybe I'll go back and train like I used to okay so these days I don't train as hard as I used to when I when I ran competitively uh, um, typically I run one hour a day five days a week and then one day a week I run four to five hours that's my long run
0: humble um, brag goodness I mean I run two or three times a week just for comparison and that's tough to maintain that's insane yeah that's insane 5 hours a week 5 but, oh my
1: god wow but that's but that's but that's literally only half what I did when I was training competitively so wow. um but I have thought about you know I could go back and compete in my age category for example I think I'd still be very competitive uh in the over 50 category so it, it, it's something i've thought about but again it's just a time commitment thing um one race in particular that i that i would like to have targeted in new york is always on in the summer uh during the world series of poker so uh-huh. i'm not going to skip the world series of poker to to spend my summer running around the same uh block in in new york um, and gotcha. but uh it's I, I, I'd never say never. I might come back to it at a later stage, um, particularly if, if poker started to wind down for me. Um, gotcha. I, might, I'm, I might return to poker.
0: Okay. Well, just again to meet the quota, David Lappin, David Lappin, David Lappin. Uh, on to the next uh, community member who submitted some questions here uh, Crystal CRS Tals. Um, and submitted, wow, six questions from Crystal. We'll try to choose just a couple of these. Um, what, uh, what is this? Okay, let's start with this one. Who was your biggest poker influence?
1: Ooh, good question. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to pick one because there was, there, there, there were a number of, at, at different times. Um, I'd say strategically the, 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 the biggest influences on me early on were Doyle Bronson and Dan Harrington because of their books. Mm-hmm. Um, I, read, I I read both their books. Well, Dan obviously wrote more than one, but I read their books and uh, they they helped me a lot in the early days. So they they had a big influence. My brother had a big influence on me as well. Um, he taught me how to play and taught me very good basic rudimentary strategy. Probably the first big influence in my career on my career um, was a guy who doesn't play anymore, but at the time he was one of Ireland's top players, Rob Taylor rob rob and i met uh under rather acrimonious circumstances where i put a bad beat on him in the <laughs> european deep stack which i ended up winning and uh he didn't take it very well at the time but afterwards we did we did become friends and he very much took me under his wing and he gave me a lot of um useful strategy advice and also sort of just how to be a pro advice uh how sure. to approach your career in terms of bankroll management um all that sort of stuff so rob 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 was a huge influence on me as well and um, good stuff so yeah
0: shout out to rob excellent uh we'll get one more of these uh six there's too many crystals i like it's it's wonderful and maybe Darren will get to him uh in uh written answers in the ama but i uh, will answer this one hopefully uh, i think i know what the answer is so i'll just put a parenthetical remark uh parenthetically barring the wsop uh main event what is your can't-miss, go-to tournament that you must play every single year it runs?
1: Irish Open. Um, okay. Has to be the Irish Open. The Irish Open is just, it's it's steeped in history. It's uh, it's an incredible social occasion. All the Irish players, players come from all over the world. I will give a special shout-out to the Aussie Millions as well. I, I've only been to the Aussie Millions twice. I absolutely loved it. Um absolutely love melbourne as well and my wife normally doesn't travel with me to poker um because she doesn't like some of the destinations she's not a massive fan of Rosvodov and vegas and places like that so doesn't like Rosvodov?
0: come on (laughs) (laughs)
1: uh, but when we uh when we went to melbourne she absolutely loved it as well so and and the aussies are just they're just great fun excellent I think I think Irish and Aussies are kind of similar. We we, we play the game in a certain um, certain personality. We you know it's 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 meant to be fun, mm-hmm. um, and um, I think both of those events are very very special. Good stuff,
0: very good. Okay, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask a, a little, this one. We're gonna really twist the strategic uh, stuff. Try to squeeze a little strategy out of you. This is from Marvin Sitan, S Y T. A-N, thank you for submitting this one. All right, Dara, we're in an $11 satellite to get into a $109 uh, tournament. I am in 21st position out of 44, and 20 of them get tickets. I have ace-king off-suit under the gun with 18 big blinds. I open shove, I get called by pocket nines by an opponent who has me covered. Is it the right play that I got unlucky, or should I be folding there because I'm under the gun with three opponents who had me covered?
1: Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, the the reason why satellites are so difficult is it really depends on what the other players at your table are like. Mm. Like, if you know that the players are likely to call you uh, fairly wide, then you are probably better off folding if everybody's playing absolutely perfectly, then yes, ace-king is a shove. Um, but then, you know, that 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 assumes that there are players behind who know they have to fold very, very strong hands. You know, players who are not far ahead of you or players who are not very far ahead of you in chips, uh, you know, they have to fold kings, for example, because um, they can't risk wobbling. So they sure. can probably only call you with aces. Now, if if... Th- that's the case, then you can obviously shove Ace King because unless you show unless you run into aces and we block aces fairly strongly, uh, you, you're gonna get it true. Um on the other hand, if you have a bunch of players who will call you light, I mean folding folding could be the right player sometimes. I mean, I folded aces in a satellite once, like as in open folded them. Um wow. Because this the, 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 the situation was very, very specific. Um, it was an online satellite. I do believe it was 20 seats and there were 21 left and I was maybe 15th in chips, but there was okay. a really short guy at our table. And there was something funny happening, let's say. The, the short guy and the chip leader were both from the same country. And every time anybody else opened, the chip leader would shove on them and he would shove into their big blind every hand. But every time it was the other guy's big blind and he only had five or six big blinds, he would open to two big blinds. Um, the other guy would shove and he would fold. Hmm. So Interesting <laughs> very, very unusual indeed. dynamics were in play. Were in uh-huh. play. The, I literally had aces under the gun and I thought, I mean, I have aces and if I raise, I know what's going to happen. He's going to shove. And I can't really fold the aces. Right. But if he has a random hand, I'm going to lose 15 to 20% of the time. Sure. And if I just fold these aces, I'm 95% at least certain to win a seat. Mm-hmm. So, so I am going to have to just fold. So you always have to basically, that's the, That's the difficulty of satellites. And, and in the book, we go into that. We talk about, we, we kind of give the theory first, and then we talk about what we call adjusting for imperfection, which is when you're up against players who are going to do stuff that which is not correct. Um, and how you have to adjust to that so it's it's impossible to give a general answer it completely depends on the players at your table if they're all playing perfectly the shove is correct if they're playing th- there will be other circumstances where it might be correct to just open a normal amount and fold to a shove um and then there are other situations where maybe you have to fold this king uh, because there are too many players to get through. It, 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 he actually makes a very good point the fact that he's under the gun. Yep. Like Absolutely. when you're on the bubble of a satellite, you don't want to get called. And the more players you have to get through, the more likely you are to be called. So there are a lot of spots where you're better off shoving 7-2 off suit from the button or from the small blind than shoving even queens from the from, from from under the gun. Um, because fold equity trumps everything, and you're trying to get the fold. Sure. Well, I think he was
0: looking for a yes or no answer, but that one's a much better answer. I like it. I'm just, I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it's definitely very comprehensive. And I like that you brought also your, your personal experience there, holding an even better hand in a similar situation. Uh, definitely a, a good instructor who comes uh, with experience. Um, two more uh, question askers here. One is One Sunchin. Thank you very much for submitting this one. Uh, Dar, what do you think is the most difficult part of poker?
1: Um I would say the mental aspect of it. Um Ooh. I think it's I think it's relatively easy. Well, maybe that's maybe that's a bit trite. It's not relatively easy to learn this, this the 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 strategy but 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 let's say a lot of people can do it most people if they really apply themselves yeah can 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 get good enough the strategy there's so much good content out there at the moment um you can go on places like Cards chat you can talk to other players you can watch youtube videos etc you can join training sites. there's so much content out there that if you really put your mind to it um you can master that side but i think the thing which which stops most people are the results of most people in the long term is just the whole mental aspect of it mm. um it's a bit like the famous mike tyson quote um r- related to boxing that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face <laughs> everybody kind of knows the correct strategy but then they're sitting at a table and they take a, they take a really bad beat yeah. and, the, and the and the wheels come off and this is and this is even more so online where you are going to get more bad beats and mm-hmm. um uh, just just by virtue of playing more hands. So sure. people, I do see people who like always know the right answer. Um, and if you talk to them about strategy, they're really good. But then you see them play and you're like, that's not the same guy because <laughs> they get emotionally involved right. and they're emotionally impacted. So I think that's, that's probably the hardest aspect. Uh, another thing which springs to mind is that, um, and this is not original. Some, I can't remember who said this, but somebody said that the two most important things in poker are patience and aggression um mm. and they, they they're very rarely found in the same person most mm. patient people are not very aggressive and most aggressive people are not very patient but but that's very much true there's a lot of times in poker you just have to be patient and wait for your for a good spot but then when the good spot comes you have to be very aggressive and take right. it right and you have yeah. to be able to sort of flip that switch
0: yeah wise words i like it very much um our final uh pair of questions yeah they're just both great questions i gotta finish off with both of them from acid burn FX also a frequent contributor to this segment of the show thank you very much for submitting these questions uh first off Dara what is your most treasured possession?
1: Uh, My most treasured possession, which you can actually see behind me over the books. uh, I thought you were going to say the books. (laughs) No, no. It's the GPI award because Ah. uh, it's not so much the fact that I have it. It's the fact that David Lappin doesn't have it. Um, (laughs) Because obviously it's a joint award. And to be fair, he probably puts more work into the show than I do. But for some reason, he wasn't at the Irish Open when they handed it out. um, So I got it. And he is never going to get it in his hands. I'm, I'm keeping it for all time now. Um, and I like to tease him about the fact that uh, I have the GPI award. To tease whom? David Lappin.
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay. Making sure. Love it. Fantastic answer. Unexpected and brilliant. Fantastic. Uh, final question also from FX. Who would you not like to be stuck in a lift with and why? <laughs>
1: I, got, I had to save the best question for last, right? <laughs> a few examples. Oh, my God. I, do, I don't really want to, uh, to to bring up any old feuds. So No, that's um, not what I meant. No. Yeah. Uh, who would I not like to be stuck in a lift with? Okay. Well, actually, yeah. I'm going to say as much as I love him, I would hate to be stuck in a lift with David Lapp because he is the world's biggest complainer. Like as bad as the experience would be, he would be moaning about it incessantly. You wouldn't be able to shut him up. He also has no indoor voice, so he would be booming at you, even though you're stuck in this elevator with him. Um, And there is literally nothing you could say which would either a shut him up or b cheer him up, because when he's in a bad mood, he's in a bad mood, and there's nothing you can do. He'll just, yeah. So he 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 he'd be absolutely impossible, I think, in that situation.
0: Fantastic answer. And I think
1: we hit the over just
0: now, Dar. So thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. And uh, just you know, so that anyone doesn't think otherwise, obviously, David and Dar get along famously. and I'm a good friend of David's as well, all in good fun. And uh, I'm sure David's someone who could take a joke. Uh, As well. So, first off, uh, just uh, as a surprise, uh, I guess by the time this episode airs, uh, everyone will know uh, who submitted questions. You guys get a free copy uh, of Dara's ebook, uh, The PKO Poker Strategy. So, congratulations to all those who submitted. Questions, thank you very much. And you know, all that kind of stuff, it's always happening on the forums. So, uh, just a re- friendly reminder to everyone out there in the community please, we'd love to see you submit your questions for future podcast guests. We'll have some other little giveaways once in a while that you guys can take advantage of. Uh, so, uh, and of course, uh, Dara's got his own uh, AMA thread on the cards chat forums as well. So please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you'd like the show. Uh, Dar, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners and those watching the show?
1: No, just to say, uh, um, I really love the cards Chat community. Um, I, I came on there just to do the AMA and, and initially um, it was Barry, Barry Carter who introduced me to he it. Said, he said, we'll do this to promote the book um but 2 years later it's still going i still uh, go on there usually after my sessions and try and answer a question or two um the people there are wonderful it's 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 so it's so refreshing to see people who are excited about poker passionate about poker and still trying to learn poker um because i deal a lot with sort of withered pros who are you know not in love with the game anymore and um it, that's that's that, that can sort of drag you down. But the enthusiasm of people who are still genuinely passionate about poker um, and trying to learn is infectious. And that kind of keeps me excited as well. Beautiful sentiments. Well, Dara, thank you very much for making
0: the time to join us today. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. I wish you all a wonderful day. Thanks, Robbie. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.